0: You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. It's time for a season break. Your girl is getting inconsistent, missing weeks. I do not like being inconsistent I do not like missing weeks, so it is time for us to take a break for the season. This episode is one of two that I've released on the same day, and these two will be the last two episodes of the season, episode nine and episode 10. So after you listen to this one, go ahead and check out the next one or the other one. And that'll be it until the last or the end of May. The end of May is when the show will be returning. I'll be refreshed and revived and ready to be consistent again. On this episode, I wanted to talk about how Black women's desperation and fear of dying alone causes us to do things or be invested in people or ideas that are to our detriment. And I wanted to talk about this because I have seen several things happen lately that I feel like are a testament to our desperation and our fear of dying alone. So of course, I'm going to start with a story about something that I consider to be or to have been my own desperation. When I was younger, I used to date a guy and my desperation took the form of, giving too many chances or staying longer than I should, or maybe extending more grace than I should have, or more forgiveness or more understanding in situations where I wasn't necessarily being extended the same thing, but I was afraid of losing out on a quote-unquote good man or good guy or whatever, which if you've listened to the episode about good men, you know how I feel about that. But my desperation was not walking away when it would have served me to do so. In most cases, when I feel like I have been desperate. So I was dating this guy and we had been dating for six months. And during the six months, we talked a lot. We talked almost every day. We spent time together, we went on dates. I was spending weekends with him and his friends. Um, when we did go out, we were having lots of fun. Like it was it was great. We did it for 6 months. It was a sexual relationship. We were having sex. And at a certain point, I was like, "Okay, I really like this guy." And we're spending time together and we seem to be enjoying each other's company, but we don't have a title. We have not yet discussed being exclusive. So in my mind, I wanted to know, you know, what to expect moving forward because I started catching feelings. And if that, and if, um, that's not something that was happening for him, I wanted to know so I can move accordingly. So I text the guy, which admittedly, this should have been in, an in-person or a phone conversation, but I was young, whatever. I texted him and said, we've been spending time together and I've been really enjoying it. And I find myself developing feelings for you. So I would just like to know, you know, where you're at, where your head is at. And if you're thinking about a relationship, just so I can know how to move accordingly. This wasn't me. I know it sounds like the what are we question, but it wasn't me trying to force a relationship on him. It was me trying to, you know, adjust my mindset and my expectations so that if he wasn't thinking relationship, then I can continue to keep my options open and not even, you know, think about, okay, this needs to be something exclusive or this needs to be something it's not or headed in a direction that it's not. So I just wanted clarity on what the hell we were doing, which is reasonable. So I send that text and he does not respond. And I, you know, after a few hours, I'm like, well, after a few, the first few hours, I'm like, okay, maybe he's busy and he'll respond when he gets a chance. A day went by and he hadn't responded. Now, mind you, this is a guy who I talk to almost every day. So I asked you uh, an important question, an important question to me and you still haven't responded in a, in a full day when usually you respond to me if not immediately within a few hours my my mind is going a mile a minute and it really did cause my anxiety to to spike because for me that was a that was a vulnerable thing to say for me to put my feelings out there and be honest with where i was at and how my feelings were developing that was me being vulnerable so to not respond which was so out of character or not really your pattern, it, it made me anxious. So I called um, on the second day of, of no responding, and he didn't pick up. Instead of answering my phone call, he texts back and says, I'm at work, I'll call you later tonight. So I'm like, okay, cool, he's going to call me later tonight. Maybe he just you know didn't really get a chance to take in my text and you know, think about it and form a response, but we'll clear it up tonight when he calls. So like, I'm waiting for him to call. And meanwhile, we're friends. We we were followers of each other or each other's follower on Instagram. And I noticed later that night that he was out with his friends, drinking and, you know, out at a party or a club or whatever with his friends. And it really made me angry because... Now we're on to day two of you not answering a question that was, again, important to me. And now I know that you have seen my texts because you opened your text messages, our text thread, so that you could respond to me calling you, telling me that you you're going to call me later. So it just made me, at that point, it made me angry that he was blatantly ignoring me and choosing not to respond to my question. So the next day, which was day three, after not getting a response, I texted him again and I said, look, I do not like being ignored. I think it's kind of fucked up that you would ignore me the way that you have been. And if I don't get a response today to my question, then you know, it's over between us and there's not friendships, not even on the table. Cause we were friends before we were anything. So I told him like, if there, if you don't, if you don't answer me, then everything's off the table relationship, uh, talking, dating, whatever the hell this is or friendship, it's all off the table. If you don't respond to me. And he responded to that and he, he flipped, he flipped it. He totally flipped it. And he used a conversation that we had had previously about ultimatums to flip it. So like a few weeks before that, we had talked about how like marriage, we were talking about marriage and how we both thought it was in poor taste to give someone an ultimatum to force them to marry you because no one should be pressured or forced into a relationship that they may or may not be ready for. Which I felt like was a different case here. I wasn't trying to force him into a relationship. I just wanted to know where his head was at. Because if his head wasn't going in the direction of a relationship, then I would have been a little less available to him or you know, a little slower to respond to his texts because he wouldn't have been the only one. He was the only person I was dating at that time. And if he wasn't thinking relationship, then I was going to keep it moving. So that's why I was asking where his head was at. And if he didn't want a relationship, if his head wasn't going in the direction of a relationship, then he could have just said that. But he flipped the script and he said that he, we had discussed not liking ultimatums and here I was giving him an ultimatum. And so now we, he didn't think we should date at all anymore because I went back on what I said, like a bunch of, a bunch of bullshit, like... <laughs> First of all, I already told you what it was. If you don't answer me, then it's over. All of it is over. But now you're telling me, you want to tell me first. No, it's over after I said. Anyway, I took the bait. I took the bait and I let his uh, his little game of switching it up on me work. And so I went from being angry that he would ignore my question and ignore um, my moment of vulnerability, by that I had by expressing my feelings. You know, I went from angry over that to feeling like I just messed up the best thing that was ever going to happen to me, <laughs> and I laugh now because in hindsight and having a, some years. Separating me in this situation, I realized that we grew into two, into people who would not have been compatible. So it was for the best that we didn't talk anymore, or that we didn't date anymore, anyway. But in that moment, going back to this whole idea of being desperate and desperation and fear of dying alone and not having my, you know, black man or whatever, I thought that he was the best that was gonna ever come along. Because he was a, a quote-unquote good guy or whatever. I thought he was the best that I was going to find. And I thought that I fucked it up. And I ran him away by giving him this ultimatum. Either you answer my question or that's it. And it worked. So after that, <laughs> after he successfully... Uh, turn the tables on me and manage to get me from being angry to to desperate i then I was concerned about what I could do to patch things up between him and I, and I'm not gonna say I'm ashamed of that because it's not our faults that we're taught to to value relationships the way that we are romantic relationships um, the way that we are. So I'm not ashamed, but I can definitely look back and, and see how that was desperation playing out in, instead of me sticking to my guns and realizing that I had a right to know what was going on between us or where our relationship was headed. I had a right to clarity. I completely caved to the idea that I need, like, black men are in such short supply and I need to cling to the good black man that I have access to or one that, you know, wants me or whatever, because no one wants to die alone. So I was desperate in that situation and it was probably several months of me lamenting that I had made the wrong decision or i had pushed him away or done something wrong in that case whereas now i can see how fucked up it was for him to to turn the tables to to switch the script on me and make it seem like i was in the wrong for needing boundaries around a relationship and seeking clarity so that's my story of desperation and I feel like I see black women's desperation playing out in so many different ways in society. And I guess I should clarify when I'm speaking here, I'm talking about heterosexual black women, specifically black women who are looking to fulfill that black love fairy tale, but are also impacted and affected by the fear mongering you know, of narratives and stories about the shortage of black men of eligible marriageable black men and how there aren't enough of them to go around for black women, which I mean, the numbers say the numbers really do suggest that there, there are not enough eligible quote unquote or marriageable black men, but the desperation as a result of buying into that is, what I'm talking about. And I feel like I see it in a lot of different ways in terms of how black women respond to certain things or to whom they decide to give their attention or to give a platform to. One of the examples I can think of off the top of my head is like when a guy on Twitter makes tweet something about how there are no traditional women left or no women who know how to cook and clean or spoil their man. Chances are in the, in the replies, you'll see a bunch of women auditioning. You'll see women talking about how, you know, they cook all their men's meals and they suck their men's dick from the back after feed after he comes home from work and feeding him a good meal. And at night, they set his clothes out for work in the morning. And in the morning, they get up at 5 a.m. to make his lunch for the day, like auditioning or a man who will make a, a tweet or a statement about how there are no women with natural bodies left or who don't look good in XYZ. And then in the comments, you'll see a bunch of women posting pictures of themselves. And it's like, y'all know he did that on purpose, right? And y'all just out here auditioning, it it just reeks of desperation. And I don't know if white women are doing the same thing. You know, I just know about what happens on black Twitter. I don't know about what happen, happens out there, but I just see a bunch of auditioning and it reeks of desperation. Like, why are you seeking to prove yourself to these random men on the internet? Um, the, uh, the other thing that's, or another thing that sticks out in my mind as a result of our desperation for this black love fairy tale or fantasy or whatever is the men who offer dating advice or relationship advice that black women like give give attention to give a platform to I don't understand it. So, I think recently this this whole big ordeal with Derek Jackson has brought this to my mind because Derek Jackson is someone who's been on the internet for years giving relationship advice. Um, and I feel like pandering, he panders so much to black women and he recently, if you're not aware, he recently, uh, was honest about cheating on his wife, which a lot of people didn't even know he was married, but he recently, you know, made a video about cheating on his wife and his infidelities and things like that. And he is someone who has made money has made a career of exploiting black women's desperation of selling black women a fantasy because, you know, he's the tall, dark, handsome black man that a lot of heterosexual black women are hoping that they get. And he's the good guy. And he supposedly calls out, you know, quote unquote, fuck boys and men who aren't treating women. Right. When really he's just saying what you want to hear. And he's not living that life he has made so much money exploiting black women's desperation and their their black love fantasies and i and i feel like it's desperation that has kept a lot of black women from seeing that he's pandering and another, another like relationship guru or someone who has a platform out here who absolutely should not and is obviously a charlatan and a fake and a phony is Kevin Samuels, who is another person who has a huge platform and uses it to malign and disparage black women. Derek Jackson and Kevin Samuels are on opposite ends of the same spectrum. Derek Jackson is the guy who's deemed himself the nice guy because he knows all the buzzwords and all the catchphrases that, you know, make him sound like a good guy or make him sound like he knows how to treat a woman. And he uses it to his advantage to take advantage of women, um, while he's doing dirt, you know, behind the scenes. Whereas Kevin Samuels, is the is the guy who who thinks that because he is honest about being an asshole that that absolves him of his asshole behaviors because he was honest Meanwhile, both of them are are preying on black women's desperation and fear of quote-unquote dying alone that they use to build these platforms where they profit off of telling women how to get men or how they can be better or how men are fucking up you know and 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 this is what you need to do or this is how you should be treated meanwhile they ain't shit themselves. And this is the problem. This is why I think it's so heinous for men to have these platforms, specifically black men to have these platforms where they're supposedly helping black women who want relationships with black men. And I feel this way based on things that have been discussed throughout many episodes of this podcast. The pow- the balance of power is tipped in men's favor in heterosexual partnerships and heterosexual marriages. The, the the balance of power is in men's favor. Men benefit from heterosexual marriage more than women do. And the evidence is out there to support this. The emotional labor, the domestic labor, the invisible labor, the child care, the sacrifices that women make to make relationships work. These are all things that are exploited in heterosexual partnerships, maybe less In some relationships, to a lesser degree in some relationships than in others, but as a, this is a norm. This is something that is not rare. It's not uncommon. It's not unique for women's labor to be exploited in the context of heterosexual relationships. So add to that that, that women are conditioned and socialized to believe that marriage should be their ultimate goal, that they are nothing if not partnered with a man. If a man doesn't choose to commit to them and quote unquote wife them and then add to that race as an intersection and the fact that a lot of black women fear a shortage of, of marriageable men or a shortage of men to choose from. So you have all of these things that tip the balance of power in men's favor And then you have men like Kevin Samuels and Derek Jackson, who not only benefit from the balance of power being in their favor as men in heterosexual relationships and, you know, women's labor exploitation. But then you have their use of black women in particular's desperation and their fear mongering that happens to scare black women into thinking that they have to settle or they have to or or that being in any relationship is better than not being in one at all and being alone or the, the chance of dying alone so they so these men these guru the relationship gurus or relationship experts or whatever not only are benefiting from women's labor in actual relationships but they're also capitalizing and making careers and whole platforms and getting paid to doubly exploit black women in particular and it's so sickening the level of exploitation is so sickening so like if you I don't know if any of y'all listen to Kevin Samuels or are fans of Derek Jackson I don't think that there should be there should be no overlap in our audiences honestly truly but if if you listen to one of those two men sis what are you doing like I don't mean to judge, but I mean to judge. What are you doing? And another person who I just thought of is an example. He's actually not black. He's a white guy, but he's another example of ex of taking advantage of black women's desperation. Chet Hanks, Tom Hanks' son, Chet Hanks, who is this white boy who has this thing called White Boy Summer. I don't really know what it is because I'm not really that interested. But he also is known for like speaking in a fake Jamaican Patois accent and calling black women queens and admiring black women. And so he recently there was a black woman who wrote an article about him basically saying that his corniness is kind of charming and his love of black women his going up for black women is really nice in a world that hates black women or is always disparaging black women or talking negative or talking down on black women it's refreshing to have people like chet hanks or it's refreshing to have a chet hanks meanwhile it also just came out that chet hanks called his ex-girlfriend who was black a ghetto black bitch threatened to kill her um, and was physically, verbally, and physically abusive to her. So this is just another example of how black women's desperation makes us so thirsty for even the smallest bit of validation or admiration, and we're so flattered to have attention from someone that you know we'll just take it from anywhere. We'll just take it from from anybody. And Chet Hanks is not a white boy that you should be bragging about having attention from granted you don't really need to be bragging about having attention from any man because uh I can't remember I think this was a tweet someone tweeted this once men will fuck a mcchicken (laughs) and I think what they were saying is basically men will men will stick it anywhere so it's not really a flex to say you know what what man you have or what man you're getting attention from but least of all you should be bragging about or charmed by the likes of Chet Hanks. So I'm just really worried about black women's desperation. And I really want us to interrogate this scary monster under the bed. That is this idea of dying alone and what it means to die alone. And there are a couple terms that I think are very relevant to unpacking um, This concept of dying alone and the fear of dying alone. I tried to use like $10 words because, you know, people don't really want to hear all that. But these two words or these two terms are really helpful in defining what's happening here. And the first one is allonormativity. And we'll actually start with something else. We'll start with the word allosexual. So a person who is allosexual is a person who experiences sexual attraction versus like someone who is asexual who does not experience sexual attraction. So by extension, allonormativity is kind of this idea or assumption that a serious relationship, quote unquote serious, is one that has to have the essential part of a sexual attraction. If it doesn't, if it doesn't have a sexual attraction, or sexual attraction is not a part of that relationship, then it can't be a serious, quote unquote, relationship. And that um, allonormativity says that relationships that don't have a component of sexual attraction are somehow lesser or not as important or not real. So this allonormativity. Um, It's something that I've talked about in previous episodes. The one I can think about, think of off the top of my head is friendship over fairy tales. When I was talking about how, um, friendships are just as important and just as intimate as like romantic sexual relationships, but they get downplayed as not as important. Um, and it's because of allonormativity, this idea that if there's not a sexual component, then it's not a real relationship or it's not a serious relationship or it doesn't matter as much. So, I think this contributes a lot to this fear of dying alone, is this overvaluing of romantic sexual relationships. Because when we're talking about quote unquote dying alone, we're really talking about dying without a romantic sexual partner. Even if the sex is gone because y'all are old and not having sex anymore. We're still talking about a romantic sexual partnership when people are talking about dying alone. And so that begs the question, what about your other relationships when you're older? Are you not going to have any family at all? Are you not going to have any friends whatsoever? Are none of those relationships going to matter? Are they, they going to mean nothing because you don't have a romantic sexual partner? What, what does that mean when you say dying alone? And the other word I also want to use to give context to this question is heteronormativity, which is basically the belief that heterosexuality is the, is the default or the norm in terms of sexual orientation. And this is a, this is a matter of heteronormativity because this idea of dying alone is essentially a threat it's a threat. If you don't get yourself together, if you don't act right, if you don't learn how to make yourself appealing to a man specifically, then you're going to die alone. And it's heteronormative because what if you're not even into men in the first place? Like this is a threat leveraged at women in general. It doesn't matter if you're a queer woman who partners with people of other genders or different genders, you're still gonna quote unquote die alone because you're not doing it right. So the assumption is that you need to be living your life in such a way that a man is going to come and is going to claim you. And this is going to be the one romantic sexual relationship that carries you and fulfills you For the rest of your life to your deathbed. And no other relationship is going to sustain you. No other relationship is going to uplift you. No other relationship is going to be important or make you feel not alone outside of this romantic sexual relationship that you are supposed to have with a man. It's really absurd. It's really absurd. And I want to point out some facts that put into context or give some perspective to just how absurd it is. So, first things first, if you're, let's say you get married and you're planning on spending the rest of your life with this person, that's all fine and good. But let's keep in mind that unfortunately, some people tend to get sick as they get older. It just happens. Your body kind of deteriorates or gets more frail as you get older and you experience illness. So, those vowels in sickness and in health. Well, women tend to mean when they say in sickness and in health. Men, on the other hand, mm, not so much. So married women are more likely to stick with their husbands who get sick or get ill, especially seriously ill, than men. Men are the ones who hit the door or are more likely to hit the door when their wives fall ill. So... In the event that you were planning on growing old with that person, what does it mean then if you get married to keep from quote unquote dying alone and your spouse decides to dip out when shit gets real? So you've put all your hope in this romantic sexual relationship, this marriage, saving you from the dreaded you know, fate of dying alone. And it doesn't work out like that all because of our normativity says that this romantic sexual relationship is the one that matters most. Or we could talk about the fact that women generally live longer than men. So if you become a widow and your, your partner, your spouse dies before you do, are you, do you die alone after that? Is that it for you? And it's interesting that this idea of dying alone is leveraged at women because even with With our normativity saying that, that a romantic sexual relationship is the most important. Women tend to build social networks outside of marriage and they tend to maintain those, that those networks and those relationships as they age. So when their husbands do die or their husbands are not in the picture anymore, they still have those social networks to keep them engaged and to keep them fulfilled and to keep them from being lonely. It's actually men who tend to be more alone without the the um, companionship of a partner, of a romantic sexual partner. It's men who tend to be more lonely or more alone because they tend not to build those social networks outside of marriage. They tend to rely on their wife for all the emotional support and needs and stuff that they have because... That's just what's expected of a woman in a heterosexual relationship. And this is why men are more likely to remarry after divorce. They tend to be more lonely. They tend to get hit harder by depression because they don't have, once they lose their support system, which is their wife, they don't have as much to fall back on. And women tend to Um, tend not to remarry at the same rate as men because a lot of them don't want to take on those roles again or don't want to be everything, all, all things to a man. They may still date men or whatever, but they may choose not to remarry because it's a, it's, it's a role that they don't want to take on, you know, later in their life. So it's really amazing how the fear of dying alone is used to make women kind of fall in line and do what they're supposed to do to avoid this, you know, terrible, terrible fate. And I'm not saying don't get married. I'm not saying it doesn't have its uses, whatever those may be for you. I just want people to interrogate some of their fears and their maybe even most deeply held beliefs about what it means to be alone to be truly alone? Are you even alone? Are you truly alone? I listen to, I'm not married. Y'all know this, but I listen to my married friends who are honest about their marriages and I hear them talking about the disparities in who performs what labor, or I hear them talking about what they had to give up, you know, in order to have their relationship. And these things are real. Like, I don't just be on here. I don't know man bashing or whatever these things these things are real and it's very intentional that a lot of women feel like their only options are to find a man and sometimes that feels like finding a needle in a haystack find a man you know have him commit to you and y'all live supposedly happily ever after ignoring power dynamics that are at play in heterosexual relationships or your other option is to die alone. It really feels like society presents those as the only two options to women. And I am here to tell you, baby, those are not your only options. Thank you for listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at NotTheWifeyType. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself.